Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies. I am really building up a head of steam on GFL Book 7's second draft. I'm at 155,500 words with a projected final count of 167,500. That puts us at 91% done. Hoo I'm going to take a flamethrower into this manuscript. That would be about 670 pages in a normal paperback. I'm unfortunately getting precariously close to the max limit of what we can print. So I've got to keep that in mind as I finish this off. But we are in the home stretch, and I'm, I'm pretty excited. A Real Girl and I are getting ready to take our first big trip since this whole COVID thing blazed up. We're going to Florida to see Ma and Coach, whom we have not seen in two years. That's right. I have not seen my parents face-to-face in two years, so A and I are pretty pumped for that trip. We're going to have several days of fishing and hanging out and eating, and of course, I will be writing the whole time. Uh, No junkie events, I'm afraid, so if you are a Floridian, don't bother asking. We're just hanging out with the family for this trip. I will be writing the whole time because I have to finish GFL 7's second draft so I can dive headlong into The Crypt Book 1. Now, The Crypt is going to require a pretty complicated overall plot structure for all five books in that series, so I'm not sure how long that structure will take. But we will find out because it's all got to tie together very, very closely. We are already working with our new publisher, Athon Books, on a bunch of things related to the crypt. So far, those guys are solid. Everything is going good. We're pretty excited about this and just fully optimistic moving forward. We're not going to take a flamethrower out of this place. Well, that is it for my talkie talk. Let's get you caught up on the story so far. Then we're going to meet the ancient clockmakers and fathom the substance of creation. Previously on The Stone Wolves. To crack the code of the Ramada superweapon, Redwire needs to find Viden, another former member of The Stone Wolves. Red, Killian, and the Oleran crew hunt for Viden on the planet Rurgurk, also known as the deadliest place in the galaxy. Chapter 17. Conspiracy Theories Killian, Beans, Aya, Zans, Schmeck, and Redwire gazed past the data streaming from the Oleran Bridge's holotank, past the large, scratched crystal window, and into the dark canvas of outer space beyond. Up ahead, Rurgurk. 
the planet's hazy atmosphere gave no indication of the savage terrain that awaited below. Killian adjusted his position in the captain's chair. It had felt so comfortable in years past. Now, more and more, he felt the poke of springs, the occasional pinch of a metal fastening through the duct tape and thinning padding. Maybe he'd have to get the thing replaced. He'd never been to Rurgurk. No one on board had. The planet might somehow be hospitable to the Kurgurk race and to the Hurrah, but to all but the dumbest adventure-seeking sentience, Rurgurk was a no-go. Sometimes, sentients flew here just to see the planet from orbit, but seeing as there were far prettier rocks to look at in the galaxy, they rarely stayed long. At any given moment, there were less than 200 ships in orbit, which meant that for the most part, one was unlikely to see another vessel. Except for the Kurgurk's massive asteroid battleships, of course, those were impossible to miss. Fortunately, the Kurgurk didn't seem to care who came to visit their planet. Zan, Killian said. Anything on the sensors? They were looking for V-Den spacecraft, which was apparently located somewhere beneath the planet's dense gray cloud cover. Negative, Zan said. Her walking schmeck was at the nav station, as usual. She'd gone back to using the yellow elephant for her head. Still no response to our hails, Aya said. She'd transmitted the code that Redwire had told her to send. She'd sent it multiple times. So far, nothing. Redwire stood at the windshield, his hands clasped behind his back. Even wearing Killian's baggy clothes, he cut a fine figure. Rigid posture, broad shoulders, an elite athlete's body. It reminded Killian of how much he'd let his own conditioning slip. Maybe the problem wasn't with the captain's chair itself. Maybe it was with the extra bit of captain sitting in it. If her ship is down there, Aya said, She's either got it completely deactivated, or she's as good as we are at staying hidden. We. I was all in for her new status as a permanent member of the crew. Her level of enthusiasm was the only bright spot in this dumpster fire of a situation. She's there, Redwire said. You know her, killer. If V-Den says she'll be somewhere, she will be there. Killian glanced at the man. The V-Den of old was like that. This one's a lot crazier. You said so yourself. Redwire shrugged, nodded. Mm, true, he said. But even so, some things about a sentient never change. Her punctuality is one of them. Killing wanted to argue the point, but he couldn't bring himself to do so. Viden, Lulz, had never missed a mark on a mission. Not once. Not even when she'd been ambushed ahead of time, or injured, or had a ship drive conk out on her. No matter what, no matter how, when Hopscotch had assigned her a mark, Viden was in position at the assigned time. Well, she could at least answer us, Killian said, hearing the grumpy, whining tone in his own voice. That paranoid fool is going to make us go down there. It's smart, Redwire said. Running silent on the surface of that planet is the safest place for her to be. We need to get down there, killer. Killian weighed his options. One of the Oleron's strengths was its ability to fly in atmosphere, but it was among the biggest ships that could safely do so. That meant a lot of surface area. Combine that with the high atmospheric pressure and ever-present gale-force winds on Rurgurk, and it was a recipe for disaster. It's dangerous to go down there, he said. No one answered. They didn't have to. Everyone already knew it was dangerous. 
it was Rurgurk, for high one's sake. Aya, any sign of Kurgurk military craft in the area? Skip, if I saw a 15-kilometer-long asteroid coming our way, don't you think I'd let everyone know? Killian didn't turn to glare at Aya. He was too busy being angry at Redwire's slightly shaking shoulders. The Stone Wolf was trying to suppress a laugh. I have accessed the meteorological report, Zan said. Winds will stay consistent at this speed for the next 17 days or so, at which point they will increase by 40%. Killian ground his teeth. He already knew there wasn't a beer in his armrest cup holder, but he looked anyway, hoping for a miracle. Skipper, Bean said, we all know we're going in regardless to do the godling's milky work. I'd tell you to stop dinking around and get on with it, but I wouldn't want to be nude. Rude, not nude, Killian said. All right, crew, just remember, you asked for this. Red, I highly suggest you sit your ass down and buckle in. Our antigrav is going to be put to the test, to say the least. Redwire did as he was asked. Killian couldn't help but notice that out of the four crash seats on the bridge, Red unknowingly buckled into the same one that Fanaka had. Killian held his hands forward, palms parallel to the floor. The holo piloting interface appeared. He wiggled his fingers, watching to see that the connection was clean. Killer, Redwire said. You ever flown in winds like this before? If Killian's jaw ground any tighter, he thought some teeth might crack. Redwire was subtly asking if he should be doing the piloting. Sure, the kid was a better pilot than Killian, than anyone, frankly, but he didn't know this ship. Of course I have, Killian said. Red probably knew he was lying. The whole crew probably knew he was lying. It didn't matter. The Oleron was his, and he would take her in. A flutter of excitement and also dread. Were they really about to see Lulz again? Would she hate him for bailing? Silly to worry about that, especially when the Oleron would probably crash and burn first. Here we go, Killian said. Then he slid his hands forward. The Oleron obeyed and descended toward the atmosphere of Rurgurk. Aya wanted to change her vote. The Oleron shook so hard, it made artificial grav seem almost useless. Beans had built a gorgeous, impossibly advanced comm station, but when it came to the flight restraints, maybe he'd run out of proper acceleration padding and opted for rusty barbed wire instead. The ship bounced around like a giant cue ball that never ran out of inertia, changing direction without warning, getting smacked from side to side, making the, quote, flight restraints, end quote, dig into her shoulders and waist. Whatever torture Goldman had endured, the bats should have opted instead to strap him to the comm station seat and send him to Rurgurk. Zen, Skipper said, shouting to be heard over the rattling ship. How much longer till we break cloud cover? Less than a minute, Zan answered, her voice coming from the speaker film instead of from the yellow elephant. I am picking up possible hail ahead. Skipper, change course to... Her words were drowned out, by high-caliber rounds slamming into the windshield, a rapid-fire noise so loud that Aya winced and ducked. We found the hail, Skipper called out. No point in turning now. We keep going, and we'll get through it. Aya looked up. The windshield was still there. The crystal shuddered, 
as an endless barrage of hailstones the size of human heads smashed against the glass, shattering on impact. Damage to whole fort to top hatch, Bean said. Get us out of this, Skipper, before it gets worse. I watched as Skipper pointed his flattened hands straight down. She felt her body pull against the too tight flight restraints. The hammering wind faded away. One final crack of a hailstone exploding against the windshield, and then, in an instant, glistening fluid sheeted the crystal. Ammonia rainstorm, Zan said. The ship shuddered. A final gust of wind slapped the Oleran starboard, a shift so hard and sudden that Aya knew it would leave bruises on her shoulder, and then the ship slipped out of the cloud cover. The wind died down. A relative term. What Aya felt now would have been the worst weather she'd ever flown in, if not for the twenty minutes that had preceded it. The windshield remained intact. Oh, thank High One for Crystal, that miracle material. Through the crystal, Aya looked out on the churning maelstrom, at a deadly ocean whipped into a violent frenzy by the high-powered storm. Land masses, giant islands mostly, poked through the ocean's surface. The islands were covered with dozens of mammoth volcanoes. Nearly all were active, some with rivers of magma flowing freely and spewed smoke buffeted by the never-ending hurricane winds. Holy shucking demon balls, Aya said. Goldman, your old pal is down there somewhere? He didn't answer. He stared out the window at the nightmare planet. If hell was a real thing, it probably looked better than Rurgurk. Get back to work, Skipper said. Find Beden's ship and find it now. Aya snapped out of her reverie. Her hand slid across the comm skins. She broadcast the code Goldman had given her and scanned for any signs of the ship they'd come to find. I knew we would make it, Bean said. His milkiness will always see us through. Never mind your superstitious nonsense, Killian said. Get me the details on that hold hatch. What do we need to do to fix it? We're going through the same weather to get away from this place that we suffered to reach it. Beans unbuckled his flight restraints, which, I noted, looked very well padded and scampered out of the bridge. The Oleran flew above the roiling surface of Rurgurk, spiraling ever outward in a fractal-like search pattern. It was Zan who finally spotted a ship. The navigator called up an image on the main holotank, an image of a long craft hovering above the storm-torn acid ocean. Long, not thick, and not thin, the ship's shape made Aya think of a cargo-hauling ground truck, if it had been built by a drunken jewelry designer. Ship ID is Diana's Arrow, Zan said. Goldman unbuckled his restraints and stood, one hand on the jump seat frame to steady himself. That's the one, he said. We found her. And class pleasure craft, Zan said. Heavily modified, probably for cargo transport and moderate levels of combat, both in the void and air to air. We need to be careful, Skipper. That is no fighter, but it is not a sitting duck either. Oh, great. As if the planet that was trying to kill them wasn't enough, the Oleran had to dock with an armed ship owned by a supposedly insane sentient. Apex, Aya said. Just mega apex, really. Finally, Skipper turned in his chair to look at her. He gave a rueful grin, one that communicated everything without him making a sound.
I know, I know, Aya said. We asked for this. Skipper nodded, then turned the chair again so he could stare out the windshield. Aya, he said, tell that ship we're going to dock with it and that the stone wolves are coming aboard. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Beans remained on the bridge. When the docking hatch slipped aside, the smell hit Killian like a fist in the nose. Jesus, Redwire said, waving a hand in front of his face. Oh, that's not a good sign. It most certainly was not, because they both knew that stench. The undeniable scent of a hurrah who hadn't bathed in months. As bad as Diana's arrow smelled, it looked even worse. Trash. Disused electronics gear and discarded technological gizmos covered the corridor floor. Biden clearly hadn't given any thought to potential visitors that could not fly above the detritus. Waiting won't get this done, Killian said. Zan, lead the way. I'll be right behind you. The Schmeck could mark a path through the trashed corridor. If anything happened to the machine, Zan herself was still safe in the Oleron. Zan moved into the corridor. Killian followed, making sure to step only where the Schmeck had stepped. From behind him, a groan of disgust from Aya. Skipper, this stinks, she said. When I was on the run, I hid in a dumpster, and even that wasn't as bad as this. The girl had a tendency to say any damn thing that crossed her mind. Keep it quiet, newbie, Killian said. Two days in that dumpster. Did I mention it was behind a meat processing plant? Killian stopped, turned, glared at her. Her eyes widened. Ah, sorry, she said. Keeping it quiet here, Skip. 
Zan had the good sense to not say anything. Aya was annoying the hell out of Killian. He wasn't sure why, because Zan would have brought up helping Redwire, even if Aya had not, and Beans's vote was a foregone conclusion. Still, Aya had been the one to call the vote, and now here they were, on the galaxy's deadliest planet, in a stinky ship owned by an old comrade who had clearly fallen on hard times. So why was Killian mad at Aya? Well, he had to be mad at somebody, and maybe he didn't always want to blame himself for everything. He pushed down his anger and continued down the corridor, Redwire at his side. Oh, that smell, Redwire said. Ugh, she must have laid aside months of freeze-dried Chondat. Yes, that was the stench, Chondat, a small floating creature native to Yura, after it had passed through a Harad digestive system. Back in the day, Viden had bought crates of the stuff any chance she got. Even in the caves of Shimanon, she'd been able to score her favorite food. When she was cooped up in those caves for days on end, Viden's Chandat farts had been a horrible thing to contend with. Here, in Diana's Arrow, it was even worse. Thankfully, Killian's latest dose of Nazdar was kicking in. It dulled all of his senses, the sense of smell included. He focused his attention on the corridor ahead. Most yachts like this were built with a fairly consistent layout. Docking hatches were usually amidships, and, almost always, the salon or largest recreational area was forward of the hatch while the galley was aft. The galley was where Viden was waiting. Annoying she hadn't met them at the hatch. It had only been 34 years. 34 years since Killian had abandoned his team. Yeah, if the shoe were on the other foot, maybe he wouldn't have been rolling out the red carpet either. Killian, Redwire, and Aya followed Zan through the trash-strewn corridor. The galley's hatch was open. The small space was just as trashed as the corridor. Strange electronic devices mounted to the bulkheads, bolted to the tables, even hanging from the ceiling by a web of gossamer copper wire. Garbage covered the floor. And above that garbage floated a hurrah. V-Den. Lulls. Her appearance broke Killian's heart. She didn't float parallel to the floor, as healthy hurrah did. Her left side wing was lower than the right, making her appear off-center. The edges of her wings twitched more than rippled, making her slowly turn counterclockwise, which she seemed to notice every few seconds and rotate back. Killian thought of a drunk overcorrecting while trying to walk a straight line. Thin fluid leaked from two of the six sensory pits running above her stingray-like mouth. One of the sensory pits that wasn't leaking opened and closed spasmodically. Her gray skin had gone to white. Patches of it were flaky, shriveled bits of tissue peeling away. He'd thought it would be good to see her after all these years. It was not. He wished he'd thought about that before so he could have remembered her as she was. Young, strong, and sane. Lulz, Gillian said. You look like hell. A twitch rippled across her skin, shaking the bony cartilage and internal gas bladder beneath, as if she had suddenly woken and realized she had company. You're a fine one to talk, she said. Her voice came from the small metal box strapped to her back. Like her, it, too, had seen better days. 
Spots of rust stained the white enamel a pale red. One canvas strap looked like it might snap at any moment. Here you are, killer, moving toward trouble, Vidan said. Last time we talked, you were running away from it. So, are you still a coward, or just less of one for the moment? Coward. After what they'd been through together, how could she use that label on him? It's more complicated than that, he said. I doubt it. Vidan rotated slightly to face Redwire. And you, my old friend, you made it. Redwire tilted his head toward Killian. I made it only because of the sentient you just called a coward. He rescued me. Killian thought of mentioning Fanaka, but seeing as Redwire had not, he let it go. The tips of Vidan's mouth flaps touched, a gesture Killian always absently compared to a human steepling his fingers. A coward rescues the true. That is two points of three, she said. All that is needed is a traitor and the triangle is complete. Killing and Redwire exchanged a glance. Did Vidan already know about Fanaka? Triangle? Redwire said to the hurrah. What are you talking about, Lulz? The hurrah didn't answer. She listed slightly to the left, unmoving. Had she passed out? This is a mistake, Killian said. Hi, one. We should not have come here. Vidan's body shivered again. She righted herself, used her mouth flaps to wipe the mucus leaking from her sensory pits. Deities have nothing to do with this, she said. They all convened six hundred odd years ago in the orbit of Lishan, and they took a vote. Our great clockmakers left the multiverse. The divine supersignal was omnipresent throughout known space. Data from nearly all the sentient races confirms this. It was like a great hum, or sigh, that was detectable across the stars. We could all hear it, with the right equipment. Her mouth flaps gestured to the bulkheads, to the ceiling. Was she pointing at the strange gear she'd created? Killian glanced back at Zan. Do you recognize any of this equipment? I do not, Zan said. Shall I summon beams? The last thing Killian needed was the Sklorno having a heart attack, looking at all the things he would want to analyze. Absolutely not, Killian said. Vidan stopped moving, listed to the left again. Eh, she's in and out, Redwire said. He sounded worried. He wasn't the only one. Was she properly maintaining the ship? As far as Killian knew, it could plunge into the deadly ocean at any moment. All of that babble she just spouted, he said. Anyone recognize any of it? Aya stepped forward, her feet sliding through the trash. I caught some of it, she said. The Great Clockmakers is a phrase used by people who believe in this ancient, supernatural race of giant beings. They're also called the Yith, the Ubanashti, or the Old Ones. Killian felt his inside sink. Damn it, Red, he said. You said she was crazy, but you didn't say she was Old Ones crazy. We have to get the hell out of here. Redwire shook his head. Don't even think about it. Just because she's crazy doesn't mean she doesn't have the cipher. Vidin twitched awake again. When she did, her sensory pits narrowed, aimed in Aya's direction, then they widened in fear. The hurrah's wings wavered, carrying her backwards so fast her tail hit the bulkhead and she bounced off. A Draco! she screamed, 
So loud, the rust-spotted metal of her backpack visibly shuddered. You brought a Q-Hilo Dama here? Redwire held up his hands. Lulz, calm down. This is Aya. She's with us. Killian had been very annoyed with Aya. Now, he was annoyed with Redwire for bringing them here, for Viden for being like this, for being a shell of her former self. Killian glanced at Aya. A Hilo Q. What is she talking about? More conspiracy theories, Aya said. Q is an ancient Earth bit of idiocy combined with this weird concept that some of the sentients who control everything are part human, part reptile. Heloderma is a genus of lizards. Redwire stepped through the trash, reached out for Lulz. The hurrah didn't fight him. She let him run his hand along her flat back. Bits of dry skin flaked off and fell to the floor. With both pity and disgust, Killing realized that much of the trash on the floor was shed hurrah skin. Aya, Killian said, how do you know this stuff? She gave him a sidelong glance. Uh, Rara Avis pretty much lives on the dark waves, Skipper, remember? This kind of information is all over the place. Sentients everywhere want to believe there are evil forces responsible for the sad state of their lives. At least she's not talking about the Abernessia. That one is really Bakuna. Killing was about to ask what Bakuna meant, but Viden instantly stopped shaking. Bakuna, the hurrah said, her voice suddenly as calm as a flat lake. No, that is not madness. Does this look like madness to you? She reached a mouth flap to her metal box, tapped something, and a holo appeared in the center of the galley. The image, distorted by a food prep table and the trash piled up on top of it, looked like a starship, although Killian had never seen the like. Long, spindly, thin. It seemed like an abstract artist's take on a predatory insect, if that insect had first been transformed into biomechanical metal flesh. Whatever it was, it also looked broken, cracked. The front rumpled and smashed. It was a holo, but Killian realized it was a holo of a flat picture. Probably a very old flat picture. There, Vidan said. Does that look Bakuna to you, Lizard? Aya stared at the glowing image. Uh, I don't know, she said. What is that supposed to be? Vidan floated closer to the image. That, she said, is the proof. It is a photograph of a probe from another galaxy. Killian heard Zan sigh, which Zan only did to communicate to humans, usually him, that she was quite fed up. Nothing can travel between galaxies, she said. Not even the rewall. Whatever that picture was, Killian had never seen the like. You poor misguided groundbounds, Vidan said. Things can absolutely travel between galaxies, as the Abenessian fleet is doing right now. This is an image of a transmitter they sent here centuries ago. It is indisputable evidence. Something about the image made Killian's skin crawl. Evidence, Zan said. And where is this evidence now? They destroyed it, Vidan said. Who destroyed it? Zan asked. Vidan rotated in place. Sensory pits aimed at Zan, Killian, Redwire, and Aya. They did, the hurrah said. Them. I suspect you'll see very soon 
gibberish, all of it. There wasn't time for these distractions. Killian felt bad for his fellow Stonewolf. So bad. But every second on this planet was another second his ship and crew were in danger. This is all mesmerizing, he said. But we brought Red to this acid bubble of a planet for a purpose. The Hurrah's wingtips rippled, bringing her closer to Redwire. You'll help me fake my death to hide from the Vermada, the Hurrah said. Whatever is in your DNA, is it worth showing the Vermada that I'm still alive, showing them where I am? Nobody but me knows you're alive, Vidan, Redwire said. The Hurrah's mouth flaps gestured to Aya and Zan. They know, the Hurrah said. Killian wasn't sure if they meant Zan and Aya or the sentients who had removed the evidence. Maybe it was both. He wanted to be sympathetic, but there was only so much he could take. He wasn't a psychologist. Whatever brought Vidan to this state, it had happened after he'd left the Stone Wolves. This wasn't his problem. My crew is not Vermada, he said. Let's get on with it. Vidan was quiet for a moment. Killian felt the weight of her stare. After you left, things were never the same, she said. How could you abandon us? What happened to you, killer? And here he'd been thinking the same thing about her. What happened to you? Except he wasn't crazy. He'd made a choice. A choice to abandon those he'd fought and bled with. I don't know, Lulz, he said. I, I really don't know. The disgusting galley filled with an uncomfortable silence. Cowardice takes many forms, the Hurrah said, finally. Come with me. Let's go to the lab and see what secrets lie within Redwire's blood. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. 
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.